And please take out your notes, take out your Bible, turn over to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, as we continue our verse by verse study, expository preaching through the book of 2 Peter, we're going to talk about the importance of remembering. And I want to encourage all of you, if at all possible, to stay 1045 for our connect group as we go through Francis Chan's study of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. We're enjoying that. We just have a couple weeks left, and we encourage you to do that. And the kids and teenagers will have a Sunday school as well. Well, I begin with a quote, something that I don't know who to attribute to, but I know Warren Wearsby said it. It's on the screen, and you ought to remember this. It encapsulates the sermon today. We forget what we ought to remember, and we remember what we ought to forget. Isn't that the truth? And that really describes, in a nutshell, what we're going to talk about today. So have you written your to-do list today? I mean, taking out a piece of paper or a day timer and put down the things you need to do today or next week, or maybe a shopping list of some kind. Do you realize if you do that, instead of taking your phone or a device and typing it in, you're more apt to remember what you write with your hand than what you type into a device? Science has proven this. Uh, there was a project called the Mangin Project, and they gave two separate groups of people a 20-letter alphabet with particular characters. And the one group spent six weeks writing every day these 20 characters of this alphabet, and the other group spent them typing them into some kind of device. After six weeks, they realized the attention rate or the retention rate of the ones who wrote them out by hand was much higher than those who punched them in on some devices. That's why I encourage all of us to take notes during the sermon. When you do that, it increases your memory by as much as 70% when you go back and read those notes within 24 hours. Do you realize that 10% of what you hear, 20% of what you read, and 80% of what you hear is retained in your life. So this is important. It's because the human brain processes visual cues rather than the written language. So seeing it visually is important. Today, Peter's going to share with us the idea of remembering or retaining very valuable spiritual insights. How many teachers do we have in this room have taught in the past, either in church or publicly or whatever? Yeah. All good teachers know the value of repetition. Three times in verses 12 through 15 of 2 Peter 1, Peter stresses the importance of remembering. He says, remind you in verse 12. Stir up as a way of reminder in verse 13. Recall those things, he says in verse 15. The Old Testament prophets repeated messages over and over concerning the subjects of warning, of the law, of judgment, of God's forgiveness. The Psalms repeat the attributes and the works of God. Chronicles, Chronicles, I've been reading through the Old Testament, going through, you know, one year reading of the Bible, and Chronicles is repetitive of 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Samuel, to remind us of what happened in the history of Israel. In Deuteronomy 5, Deuteronomy means the second law. Deuteronomy 5 amplifies the first law, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. And God wanted them to remember the law very clearly and how to apply it to their life as they were headed into the promised land. 
in the New Testament, repetition is used as a teaching tool as well. Jesus repeated the message in sermons and parables and object lessons, not just for the crowds, but more so for the disciples to build into them so that when he left, they would remember the teachings that he was giving out. The Synoptic Gospels, those are three different Gospels about the life of Jesus from three different perspectives. Second Peter and Jude are two books that illustrate the importance of remembering. John MacArthur said this about preaching and teaching. All who preach and teach the scriptures are merely reminding people of what God has said in his word so constantly that God's repetition and the teachers and preachers make these truths stick. So we're not preaching anything new. We're preaching what has been preached in the past and building on those sermons and those messages. That's why today we need to learn from Peter the importance of remembering. So I hope you have your Bible open for our scripture reading, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. Peter said, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we come before you in awe of your word. This is your revelation. This is your unfiltered truth to us. This is your love letter given to us so that we can better understand your heart to better build our relationship with you. And so as we open the word today, we pray that your Holy Spirit would illumine our our minds, that we can understand it, that it would be clear and it would be applicable to our lives. Lord, we lift up Cal and Joyce Klopp and the loss of Dan, we pray for the folks in Peru that he administered with. We pray for uh, the Klopp family as they go through this time of loss. And I pray that you will uh, just comfort them, minister to them, help them to draw strength from you and strength from their family together. Lord, we pray and ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. So on your outline, let's look first of all at the benefits of remembering the past. The benefits. And what I want you to kind of get a picture of is how do we balance looking back at our past? Because we need to do that, but we'll also look second of all at the dangers of that if we do too much and focus too much on it. So how do we get the balance? First of all, we look at the benefits in 2 Peter 1.12, it says, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, Peter says, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder. We're going to look at the context of these verses, and then we'll draw some applications for our day-to-day life. But we see that he wants to produce spiritual growth. First of all, Christ followers need information in order to grow. Notice Peter says, therefore, in verse 12, referring back to the previous verses. 
The previous verses in 1 through 4 talk about the greatness of our salvation. And then 5 through 11, as we extrapolated last week, we talked about how the blessed assurance of the confidence of knowing that we have that salvation, that we're sure of our destiny in heaven. Peter is saying and emphasizing, never forget those things. I don't know how you pray throughout the week, but uh, I have specific things I pray for on different days. Saturday is my day of thanking God, and that's a day of remembrance. I thank him for the family that God put me into. I thank you that our family came to faith in Christ. I'm thankful for the university that I went to. I'm thankful for the people that God has placed in my life to help make me who I am. And I hope you take time to think back and thank God for his attributes and and what what he means to me. That's what we mean by thinking about and remembering these things. I've shared this quote before, but it bears repeating. Is John Newton. He was a slave trader, slave owner, came to Christ, became an amazing theologian, wrote the, the song Amazing Grace. He said this quote, although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. Boy, if you can remember and hold on to those two things, and just go back to those, that will keep you focused where God wants you to be, to grow. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Peter says that you're solid in your faith, and you're practicing the qualities that produce spiritual fruit. He says that in verse 12, but he wants to remind them of these qualities that came as a result of their salvation. He said they were established. Established there means to strengthen, to firmly establish, a settled matter that has continued effect. He saw that they were faithful to the gospel and the qualities of salvation were in their lives. Peter was a pastor shepherd. And in this verse, he's not warning them. He's not being condescending. He is encouraging them. He said, I see the evidence by your faithfulness that the true gospel was strongly present and working in your life. Think about that. Peter Peter remembered denying Christ three times. And then even after Jesus rose from the dead, it tells us in the latter part of the book of John that even though Jesus rose from the dead, he went back to his former occupation and he was fishing. And of course, Jesus found him fishing in John 21 and brought him in for a breakfast and for reconciliation. And because Peter denied him three times, Jesus emphasized to him and commissioned him to be a pastor teacher, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, he said in John 21. So writing here in 2 Peter, I'm sure he wanted the Christ followers to not lapse into sin or get distracted with minor issues and follow false teachers along with their teachings. He wanted to remind his readers and listeners of his messages of these things every opportunity that he had. He also, in writing this, anticipated future believers like you and I reading this letter to be reminded of the great things God had to say. Paul had a similar statement in Philippians 3. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard, it's a protection for you that I repeat these things. In Romans 15, 15, Paul said, yet I've written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me. 
In verse 13, we see Peter saying, I think it right. Or he's saying, I think it's righteous. He's spurring the readers on to holiness and right living with this motive here. He says, I think it's right as long as I'm on this planet Earth to stir up your memory. Stir up means to arouse, to awaken, to suddenly be made alert. The word is used when the disciples are on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And they're rowing and all of a sudden they look off in the distance and they see a storm coming and it alerts them that they need to do something. I'm sure many of us have done some crazy things with the weather in your lifetime. I can remember back when uh, I was golfing with a friend of mine, Tim Peters from our youth group, and we were in Washington Township, New Jersey. And I'll never forget this day. And we saw the storm coming and we had three holes left and we thought we could beat the storm. Now remember... If you're golfing, you have 14 lightning rods in your bag. They're all metal, right? And so that storm came in before we got done with the second to last hole. And we didn't have a golf cart. We had pool carts. I never saw two people run so fast for a clubhouse when lightning was hitting all around. Talk about being suddenly alert. And that's what Peter's talking about here. Stirring up your memory. Arouse. Awaken. The faithful preaching of the whole counsel of God from time to time will arouse us from our spiritual lethargy. We need a wake-up call from time to time to get us refocused on what is important. If the events of this past week don't wake you up to what is going on in our country, not much else will. We need to continue to pray for our freedom, for our liberties, for faithfulness to our founding documents and our founding fathers who said on the day that they signed the Pledge of Allegiance we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Well, let's move to some practical ways to apply what Peter is saying here in verses 12 and 13. One of the benefits of remembering our past is to learn from the past both the good and the bad. To learn. We need to be a student of our past experiences. And remember, your past experiences have been ordained by God. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And don't ever forget, don't ever forget that whatever has happened to you has first gone through and filtered through the fingers of God. That's why you need to keep reading Job 1 and 2. I bet if Job could have read 1 and 2 before he experienced his suffering, it would have enlightened him in many ways. When Satan, the accuser, came and said, you know, that Job down there, he's just worshiping you because you give him everything that he wants. And of course, we see that he was, Satan was the un, you know, unwilling servant of God and only could go so far. God said, you can strike him, but you can't take his life. And on and on it goes. Same in your life. Nothing happens to you without God filtering it first. So this applies far beyond the spiritual aspects of our life, our lives. What are things that you've learned from the past experiences or things that were taught to you that you still do to this day? One thing I learned when I was a little kid is you don't put your hand on an electric stove when it's turned on, right? That only had to happen once for me to realize I don't want to do that again. One of the things we teach our kids, look both ways before crossing the street. Dating relationships, that's a true learning experience for future spousal relationships and other connections that we have with people. We could go on and on, and you and I could share stories of what we've learned from our past. 
Lessons from past experiences are important because we've built good habits from them and hope to avoid the bad habits and the consequences of those behaviors. Another benefit is to be able to stand by faith based on the milestones of your past on your spiritual journey. This is so biblical. I mentioned this last week. The Israelites had all kinds of ways to remember significant events in the nation of Israel. Think about it. I mentioned last week that the priests, when Joshua was commissioned to take the Israelites over finally into the promised land, 40 years he'd been under Moses' tutelage, the priests had to step into the water of the Jordan River first by faith, and then the waters parted. And then God told them to take memorial stones, 12 memorial stones out of the center of the Jordan River and pile them on the other side where the promised land would be. And then when people walked by, it was to be a memorial what God did by parting the Jordan River and leading the Israelites, approximately 2 million people across into the promised land. You go to Israel, as some of you have gone, and they've got names for the wells. Jacob's well is named after wrestling with God all night. We see the Jewish people practice the Passover feast and the Sukkot, or the festival of shelters. The Passover feast is reminding you of the death angel passing over in Egypt, the Israelites who had put blood on the doors and then allowing them to be free. The festival shelters, the time that they were in the wilderness, and now they build tabernacles or little shelters outside to stay in during that time to remind them of the wilderness journey. We think of the cities of refuge, protection for innocent people and those awaiting trials. And then in the church, we have two ordinances, two remembrances, baptism and the Lord's Supper. So these are all for us to build our faith upon. Another benefit is to know that repetition builds our faith and encourages our emotions. We need those. We need to go back and be reminded of what God has done when Satan is trying to attack us, when he's attacking our mental health, our emotions, when he's trying to uh, bring up stuff from our past that God has already forgiven us of. We need the repetition of what God has done. And a great story in the Bible is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, where David was confronted with Goliath. You remember, David was the little teenage boy. He was shepherding his father's flock. His brothers were out of battle. Of course, the Israelites were challenged by the Philistine to war, to send their warrior out. Nobody wanted to do it. Everybody quaked in fear. Peter, David shows up, and what does he do? He says, I'll go. And as he did that, he prevailed because he had faith and the courage built on past things that God has done in his life. In 1 Samuel 17, as he's about, David's about to approach Goliath, it says in verse 33, Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. 
And the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Talk about faith. Five smooth stones and a slingshot going up against a nine foot tall giant. David was able to do that because he built on the faith of his past experiences with God. Joshua watched all that God did through Moses for 40 years, and then he became the leader of Israel who took them into the promised land. What about you and I? Has your faith been increased by milestones in your life, by answers to impossible prayers? Have you ever had God answer one of the prayers that you prayed that was so filled with details that you couldn't deny that it was from God? And let's stand on the faith of the past as God gives us bigger opportunities to step out on faith in the future and to trust him even more. The last benefit here we'll look at is to pass our faith on to others. See, all of our past spiritual journey is built up so we can impart it into somebody else to build into their lives eternal values. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, this is where we get the idea of phylacteries. I should have put a picture of a phylactery, but the Jewish rabbis have these little leather straps with a little box that goes right about in the middle of their forehead. <clears throat> and in it are the 613 different commandments that came out of the Ten Commandments. And they wear that based on Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. The Shema, it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. We're to be imparting faith and truth into the lives of other people based on what we have experienced. And we do that by object lessons. We do that by the common things of the day, just like Jesus often talked about the agrarian culture, using those things that were common to the people to understand and believe and trust. In 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul said, "...in the things you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others." The church of Jesus Christ is perpetually one generation away from extinction. That's why we'll be emphasizing discipleship this fall and taking what one person learns and sharing it and parting it to others as well. So here's our application. Our identity in Christ is shaped by how we view the past through the lens of God's word. Hope you think about that. <clears throat> how we view ourselves in Christ is shaped by how we view our past through the lens of God's word, how he's worked in our life, how he's built that faith, how he's been faithful, how he's chastised us, disciplined us in love at times. All these things come together to help us to understand who this God is that we serve. Well, there are dangers of dwelling on our past too much, though. Here are some pitfalls to avoid. The dangers of remembering the past. I would encourage all of us to take our Bible, turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Take a moment and take your Bible, whether it's on your phone or 
you have a copy of God's word in your lap there, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This passage has been something so meaningful to me that it's helped me to avoid a lot of uh, pitfalls and sins and traps in my life. Because one of the best ways to learn is to see what happens to other people. And Paul lays this out here so clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Look at verse 1. Paul says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact. Notice how he starts out. I want you to have all the information you need to succeed, succeed spiritually. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud. That's the glory of God that was there present at the tabernacle. And that they all passed through the sea. They all went through the Red Sea as they fled Egypt. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. They all knew what manna was. They all knew that God supplied the water. So notice, these two million Jews, they all experienced pretty much the same thing. But here's the turning point in verse 5. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things occurred as examples. And examples are for us to learn from. To keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Verse 8, we should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did, and in one day, 23,000 of them died. Verse 9, we should not test Christ, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. And then he summarizes in verse 11, these things happened to them as examples, and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages has come. And then he says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Hey, he said, if you think you're above doing what the Israelites did, you better think twice. Verse 13, he gives us this promise. No temptation has overtaken you, except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This verse always reminds me of that uh, show, Let's Make a Deal. You know, you get to choose from one of the three doors. We have to look for the door that gives us the escape, the way out when sin and temptation comes our way. So here's some things that we can do to prevent falling into the pitfalls. First of all, preventing an unwholesome view of the past. Preventing an unwholesome view of the past. The truth is the good old days weren't as good as you remember them. Our memories can be fooled. And we have to be careful to take our past and measure it up to the perfect law of liberty, as James 1 says, and to mirror, look at the mirror of God's word with our past in mind. Be careful that you're not so wrapped up in the past or want the past to return to realize we're not going back to the good old days. The train has left the station and it's not coming back. Second of all, preventing an overemphasis of the past. This is where many Christians struggle because they focus on their sins. They don't look at their sins from the perspective that God does. Martin Luther, before he was a believer in Christ, he was so introspective. 
It was said that he would go and he would meet with the priest to confess his sins. And as he was leaving the doors of the church, he would also already feel like he was sinning once again. He came so often to the confessional booth, the priest told him he was too introspective. And of course, when he came to faith in Christ and realized that he was justified by faith and received forgiveness, he was able to overcome that. God is able to do something we cannot do. He chooses to forget our sins. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. That's a freeing verse for all of us. He removes the guilt. And what's the great thing about Christianity, unlike any other religion, he removes the shame as well. And we become we're imparted with his righteousness. We become like Christ. I want to remind you of a promise in the book of Joel. Nothing is wasted with God. We sang that in a song a few minutes ago. And he will restore what sin has damaged in our life. We're not to dwell on our past, but remember in Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God removes the guilt and the shame when we repent. And he many times restores Think about Job. In Job 42, it says that God gave him twice as much as he had in chapter 1 when he lost everything. Here's a promise to hold on to in Joel chapter 2. It says, I will repay you. Remember, the Israelites had turned their back on God, got involved in idolatry, were exiled. And he says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts, the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. You will have plenty to eat until you are full, and you will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be ashamed. I hope you can take that promise today and hold on to that. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, removing the guilt and the shame. You see, if we dwell on the bad too much for too long, it will affect our spiritual life and our relationships of those around us. Paul said this, and we just studied this in our men's group recently in Philippians 3. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I shared with the men something in men's group that night. Uh, I learned from a counselor when I was going through a very dark night in my soul. And at the time, I didn't want to believe what the counselor said, but it's borne out to be true. You think about your car, and you have a rearview mirror, right? And the rearview mirror is small. And it's something that you need to look to and glance to to make sure that you're, you know, not pulling out in front of someone when you pass and knowing where you are in the lane and that sort of thing. But what you really focus on is that wide open windshield in front of you, right? Because if you start focusing only on that rear view mirror, guess what? You're going to have an accident. So you and I, got, he's Paul saying here, he says, forget your past. You need to glance at it, learn from it, but don't dwell on it and look to the future, to what I have in store ahead of you. Another way to prevent overemphasizing the past is preventing us from repeating bad history. Repeating bad history. Saul, he was told to wait for Samuel to come. And then Samuel would make the sacrifice, but 
Samuel was delayed and Saul's troops were starting to head home. And so he, he took it upon himself to offer a sacrifice. And Samuel said, you were wrong to do that. To obey is better than to sacrifice. And of course, the kingdom of Israel was taken from Saul. We know the story of David and Bathsheba. He was an adulterer. He was a liar. He tried to hide his sin. He lost his son until Nathan the prophet confronted him. Ananias and Sapphira, they lied about how much they were giving to God in the early church, and they died on the spot. And Achan took the forbidden loot that he was told not to do from the enemy and buried it in his tent, and it cost him and his family their lives. The interesting thing about the Bible is it shares all the good and bad for us to learn from and not to have to repeat in our lives. Unfortunately, too many times I do repeat what I know is wrong, and somehow I think the consequences are going to be different for me when I do it. So we need to learn from others who've experienced heartache, pain, and lifelong consequences so you don't have to go through what they have gone through. Our application is taken from a great theologian, no, actually a founding father named Ben Franklin. And you know this saying, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that's the truth. If we can prevent these things in our life, then we don't have to go and seek the healing, deal with the consequences, work through the heartache in our lives. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Peter shares in these last two verses and the rest of this chapter the importance of remembering the word of God. Next week, we're going to talk about the revelation of God, how it was inspired by God, how we got the Bible. It talks about how the prophecies came about. And we'll look at that, but verses 14 and 15 says in 2 Peter 1, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things because... He wrote them down to be given to us. Peter was in his 70s when he wrote First and Second Peter. Peter sharing his legacy in these verses that we're studying today. Jesus prophesied that Peter would have a sudden and a swift death in John chapter 21, verses 18 through 19. He would be crucified. And Eusebius, an early church father, shared that Peter was crucified upside down. Why was that? Because Peter did not think he was worthy to be crucified like Jesus was. Peter wanted the knowledge and experience he had to live on to be learned by others. Peter preached in Rome and other cities. His public ministry was greatly appreciated. He was pouring into John Mark. Mark's gospel bears the name for John Mark, but he wrote down Peter's perspective on Jesus and his ministry. And if you look at some Bibles and some commentators, they put in there the Gospel of Mark, but, or they put the, the name of the book Mark, and they put the Gospel according to Peter as the subtitle. Notice Peter says in verse 14 that he's putting it aside. It means his life is soon and swiftly going to come to an end. Paul talked about this body being like a tent. He said in 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. 
In 2 Peter 1.13, Peter uses that word tent. This conjures up the idea of Middle Eastern nomads who uh, would find a place to tent and they would have abundant grass and water for their livestock. And when that ended, when that was finished up and there wasn't enough left, they would pack up their tents and they would go and find new ground. Peter is saying here that when it's time, God will fold up his earthly tent and move him on to heaven. That word depart, departure in verse 15, exodus in the Greek, leaving earth to go to heaven. And then in verse 15, Peter reemphasizes to make every effort or endeavor to show diligence. It means to hasten to do something, to be zealous about doing it. Peter, the pastor shepherd, had the desire of God's people in the churches that he wrote to to have these things written down for future study and for posterity. And Peter, like Paul, he didn't want to be remembered for who he was or how he died, but for what he taught. So here are some ways that we can work at remembering the things God wants us to remember. First of all, the word of God. Here's three words to write down. Read, reflect, and memorize. Read. Read the word daily. We talked about you retain about 20% of what you read. Read the word. Reflect. Meditate on it. Think about it. Just don't read it wrote like another book. But memorize it. Hide it in your heart. Remember that men will die, but God's word will last forever. There's only two things. I've said this over and over here on earth that's going to make it into heaven. Man's soul and the word of God. That's why it should be so precious to us. In Matthew 5.18, Jesus said, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. In Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. And it's interesting that the New Testament, especially in Ephesians 2.20, is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In 1 Corinthians 3, it describes Jesus as the foundation for our spiritual life. He uses the parable Jesus does of the houses built on the rock and the sand, the rock representing the word of God. In Jude 1.17, he says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. So remember, remember the word of God. Second of all, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. One of the purposes of the Holy Spirit was to come and help us to learn God's word, but to remember it. Jesus made that promise in John 14. He says, but the advocate, the paraclete, the one that will come beside you, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So he will bring up verses, the Holy Spirit will, that you've memorized. I don't know if you've had that experience, but you go somewhere and you're not expecting any kind of conversation and someone begins to talk to you. Maybe it's a Mormon person. Maybe it's a, someone else has a different faith. And all of a sudden, God brings verses of Scripture to your mind as you converse with this person. That's the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, the church family. The church family. Where sermons are preached. Teachers who are gifted teachers. 
what you experience together in worship. We remember those things. We remember key events. I've had people tell me that they came to this church because of a teacher and because of what that person taught. And it's still in their memory of those things. The other one would be, another one would be great books, great music, and great media. We've kind of lost a taste for Christian biographies, but that would be a great thing to do some reading on Spurgeon and Moody and, and Jonathan Edwards and great leaders of the past. Christian music. I think classical music is really, really beneficial as well. It's a powerful tool and an aid. It's been proven that for your brain, it does wonderful things. That's why they encourage parents to play classical music before babies are even born. And other quality music, media, movies, stories, YouTube videos. These are examples. And lastly, great people who share their stories. Great people who share their stories. I love to hear people share about what God has done in their lives and I learn and I'm encouraged so much by it. So here's our application. We are without excuse for not learning from our personal past and history's past. We are without excuse. We have to learn from our personal past and our history of the world's past as well. I want you to understand that Peter is preparing the persecuted Christ followers he's writing to to listen to his teachings on these things because he's going to pivot in chapter 2 and 3, to talking about false teachers. He's laid the groundwork in the first half of chapter 1, where he talks about our personal salvation experience. and the second half of that chapter, he talks about the importance of remembering the revelation from God's word written down for us in these 66 books. He's emphasizing the importance of knowing and basing your life and its choices and decisions on the unfading word of God. So here's the key thought. Remembering the past through the prism of God's word builds a corrective and growing faith. Remembering your past through the prism of God's word, filtering it through, thinking it through as God would think your past is. It'll help you correct and help you grow deeper in your faith. During World War II, as we close here, during World War II, the Jewish immigrants that were in occupied Poland by the Nazis. It was in a camp called Yanov, Y-A-N-O-V. And as they were being taken in to this camp, they took pieces of the Torah and they cut it up and they wrapped it on their bodies underneath their uniforms that were given to them. And they smuggled in parts of the Torah into the Yanov camp. And they hid it under baseboards. They uh, borrowed out bedposts and stuck it in there and they did all these things and in darkness they worshipped God, Jehovah with those pieces of the Torah, those fragments well after they were freed in 1945 and people came in, some Jewish people found these portions of the Torah and they took it and they bound it together, they sewed it together and it became known as the Yanov Torah and there was a, a guy, a rabbi whose name was Erwin um, Herman, a Reformed Jew in Los Angeles, got a hold of this, and he began to tell the story of the Yanov Torah as they worshiped God in those concentration camps. 
Think of the dedication to the word of God that these people had. They risked their lives to keep a copy of the Torah, even if the fragments and the hidden, they were hidden in all manner of places. How much more should we not be hiding God's word in our hearts so we can remember it, so we can grow in our faith? Let's bow for prayer. Just before we pray today, I encourage you to look into your heart. And I'm sure that there's some of us in this room that we give an unhealthy place of the past in our thinking. We can't erase our memories. Things are there. But it's all how we deal with those things in our past. Maybe you're today, maybe you say, you know, I'm struggling in my spiritual walk because I just keep dwelling on my sins and the shameful things of my past. And I just need encouragement today to look at those through what Jesus said in his word about these things. If you're here today and you're struggling with some of these things in your past and you want prayer, just slip your hand up. No one's looking around. I just want to encourage you. If there's things in your past that are just pulling you down, that you're struggling with, and you need to just surrender them over to God, just slip your hand up and I'll be glad to pray for you today. Anyone at all? Yes. Anyone else? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this amazing mind that you've given us. We thank you for the ability to have a memory and to remember things. Lord, I pray that you help us as we battle from time to time where we get ourselves in dark places, where we focus too deeply on our past sins and our failures and our mistakes. Help us to look at them through the prism of your word that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus and so many other promises that we can claim because you see us differently than we see ourselves. And help us to make that change in our mind to decide we're going to look at my past through the way that you look at me now. God, I pray for those that raised their hand or struggling with this, that you will give them uh, an opportunity this week to just dig into the promises and remind themselves of who they are In Christ, we pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen.